Hi, I'm Beth Kuehl, your Executive Career Coach and host of Breakthroughs, Smart Strategies for Business and Career Growth. I'm delighted to have Harvard Business School Professor Amy Edmondson, a leading expert on teamwork, psychological safety, and leadership, discuss her most recent book with us, The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth. Edmondson has been ranked by Thinkers 50 as one of the top thinkers in management since 2011. She received her PhD in organizational behavior, an AM in psychology, and an AB in engineering and design, all from Harvard University. I'm glad to have Amy here to discuss her research and her book and her many articles, I think over 70, to explain how teams and organizations can create psychological safety and as a result, become top workplaces. Welcome, Amy. It's wonderful to have you here on Breakthroughs. Well, thank you, Beth. I'm delighted to be talking with you. As the leading authority on psychological safety, Amy, could you give your definition of psychological safety, what it is and what it isn't? Great. The definition is an environment in which people feel safe taking interpersonal risks, like speaking up, asking for help, offering a crazy idea. Probably the simplest way to think about this is a learning environment, an environment where people can speak up. It is not about being nice. Right. It's not the same as a trigger free space. In fact, in a psychologically safe environment where people feel free to speak up, we will have conflicts. You know, we, we may have moments, many moments um, where we say things that upset others, even though we didn't mean to. So it's, it's not a trigger free space. It's not being nice. It's not soft. It's certainly not about relaxing performance standards. So it's really about candor and learning and being willing to take those risks. Could you share your story of what inspired you to get interested in doing more research on psychological safety? I think it was when you were a graduate student and you were in a hospital setting and there were people who learned from failures and people who didn't learn from failures. If you could unpack that a little bit. When I was a PhD student, I was very interested in organizational learning and, you know, I also cared very much about the work experience, but I suppose my focus, my research question was about trying to understand learning environments. And so when I got a chance to study with a, a larger group of real experts, medication errors, I thought that was a great opportunity to, you know, learn something about learning because when, when, when you're learning, when you're a learning team or a learning organization, you must put mistakes to good use, right? If you're not learning from mistakes, you're not a learning organization. And so this was, you know, this was sort of a good opportunity, I thought, to understand uh, how teams were learning from errors. I didn't expect, and what happened instead was I discovered that there were real, you know, profound differences in reporting behavior. In, in whether or not people were even willing to talk about and speak up about and, and admit errors. And of course it goes without saying, but you can't learn from mistakes if nobody knows about them. And you might potentially learn from your own mistake, but most workplace errors and mishaps are the result of more than one slip, you know, more than one thing going wrong. There's process failures and breakdowns. And, and so in order to really prevent those kinds of things happening again, you must look at it from different perspectives. And in this research, I found just a profound difference in across teams in their ability and willingness to speak up about things that went wrong, which directly impacts their ability to learn from and improve uh, when things go wrong. 
And a person who can receive all kinds of feedback would make sense that they would have a growth mindset, like that they were desirous of expanding themselves, and so they're seeking input from everyone up and down the chain. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so there's a strong connection between growth mindset and psychological safety. I think of growth mindset as an, and it is, it's an individual level attribute. Uh, it is a personality difference, but it is something that can be learned and adopted as well. Um, and so growth mindset in a way drives some of the behaviors we need for improvement, for learning, for innovation, and they are better uh, enabled in a psychologically safe environment than one that isn't, right? So we, we, you need to have a growth mindset or growth mindset helps and a psychologically safe environment allows that growth mindset to be put to good use, let's say. There's a challenge that I think employees face today because on one hand, during COVID especially, people are grateful they have a job and they don't want to rock the boat, if you will. So yes, we would like to see people speak up and, and you know, we want them to give us their, their views and help protect us from potential catastrophes or give ideas that will, you know, potentially advance our business. But at the same time, it's really up to the leaders to create that atmosphere of psychological safety, because if it doesn't exist, people aren't going to feel confident to speak up because they fear losing their jobs. I, I just see this all the time as an executive coach. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it's a conundrum because I think you're right. So many, especially young people think, well, just lucky to have a job. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to mess it up. And so they don't feel psychologically safe in the sense of they don't feel willing to take interpersonal risks. Now, that's really ironic in a way, because the very reason they were hired was for their brains, for what, for their observations, for their ideas. And in well-run organizations or well-run teams, when people are not sharing when they're not all in, when they're not taking interpersonal risks, they're at more risk of losing their job than less. You know, in other words, a well-run teams is kind of noticing when people just aren't in it and they're holding back and they're playing it safe because those aren't actually the people that really innovative companies, really customer-centric companies want to have. And why this has been so powerful and why this has been such an important theme in recent years is because we live in a profoundly uncertain, interdependent, innovation-dependent world. And that's the kind of world or that's the kind of marketplace, organizational place where everybody's ideas are needed. Could you provide examples of the most psychologically safe companies? Are there companies that are 100% psychologically safe? And how does that impact innovation and creativity? Well, it's probably worth adding here that very few companies, if any, in fact, I'm not sure I know of any, um, maybe some sufficiently small ones, are 100% psychologically safe or 100% psychologically unsafe. Um, this is a phenomenon that's very local. It, so it tends to characterize the work group or the work unit, you know, maybe a patient care unit in a hospital or a branch of a bank or a, a restaurant in a chain or a product development team in a company. So it's, it's an emergent property in a group, in a group of people, could be five people, could be 120 people, but people who are kind of working together in an ongoing way to get stuff done. And 
that experience, that, that environment becomes something that's very palpable. And it can be quite different from this team to that other team, you know, even in the same company. So I, I think sort of starting with the recognition that this is um, the good news about what I just said is that anyone, um, you know, any anybody in any company can actually do their part to create more of a, a candid, psychologically safe environment where they work. Uh, what are the leadership tasks? What can they do, practically speaking? Well, you know, one of them, let, let's just start with purpose. Uh, so often that's where we need to start, you know, from a leadership perspective, because I, I think even when you go out of your way to create the most psychologically safe environment. This is still hard, right? It's still hard for people to speak up about a mistake or to ask for help or, uh, you know, offer a half-baked idea. So the, what makes us do that, despite the potential it contains for looking bad, is that we care, right? We care about the patients or we care about the customers or whatever it is, you know? So a, a, a clear, compelling, and repeated emphasis on our purpose, our shared purpose, why it matters that we exist is table stakes, right? I think it's just one of those things that when it's present, people are more willing to take the interpersonal risks of learning than they would otherwise be. But beyond that, part of the table setting, if you will, is also emphasizing explicitly the challenge that lies ahead, the nature of the work, the fact that we live in an uncertain, complex, interdependent world, because that creates a rationale for why your voice is needed. Right? If we live in an absolutely standardized, you know, independent, predictable world, why would it make sense to ask employees to speak up? Right? It just we wouldn't need it. We would just say, do your job. All will be well. But that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where there's almost no such thing as do your job and all will be well. There's do your job, but keep telling us about the things that are working and not working and the ideas you have for making it better and the innovations and, and so forth. So um, so you're you're trying to make sure people know that you are, in fact, serious about wanting to hear from people because there's a rational case to be made that that makes sense. And number two, and this is easier, just ask good questions. You know, be curious, invite voice explicitly. Don't just assume, as so many managers do, that if people have something to say, they'll say it. No, you know, go out of your way to ask good questions. What are you seeing? What ideas do you have? How else might we think about this? You know, the kinds of questions that force thought and give space uh, for someone to respond in a thoughtful way. Um, and then finally, of course, how you respond, especially to bad news, really matters. You know, it's, a, it's an old saying that messengers get shot, don't shoot the messenger, but really, you gotta do better than that. You know, the poor messenger gets away with his life. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about appreciating the messenger. Uh, embracing the message. Thank you for that clear line of sight. Um, and and so, we're, this is these are um, these may sound excessive, but I don't think they are. In a way, they're very ordinary. Right? In a, in a very ordinary way, you're trying to just keep remind people their brains are needed uh, for all of us to thrive. Amy, I'm curious of your thoughts of 
how we can get people who are still stuck in the carrot and stick approach to leadership, where they're pressing their people for efficiency, to recognize that in the digital age, in this era, that's just not going to work. And that we're going to need to have people feel psychologically safe to contribute, to give their feedback, to speak up when they see something that's a problem or when they have an idea that really could make a positive change. If we want to achieve our strategic financial goals, psychological safety is an imperative. So how can we do that and help leaders who are still uncomfortable with that leadership style make a pivot in, in the way they approach their uh, the workplace and, and the way they approach uh, leader, leading their people? The challenge of leadership is, of course, the challenge of remaining humble enough to know that you aren't able to do it yourself. Right. You, you know, let's say you're 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 leading an automotive company or you're leading a patient care team, what, you know, large, small, whatever. You cannot do it all yourself. Um, you um, are utterly reliant on the willing and able help and participation of those you lead. And so that's a kind of humble stance. You realize, whoops, you know, I, I can't actually build a car. I can't actually you know, make this hospital run. It only works when everyone else shows up and does their part and works really well together. And, you know, the, the more leaders internalize the reality that performance depends on others, you know, voluntary contributions of themselves, their hearts and minds, their ideas, um, the more they will just spontaneously show up as leaders in the way they need to to make more of that happen right it's it's when you're under the erroneous impression that you're supposed to have the answers and you have to look strong and you can't ever say i don't know um then you're in trouble because reality isn't conforming to that mindset anymore that would be the performance mindset um, the opposite of the learning mindset the growth mindset so you know leaders have to first help themselves understand how very much they really do want the truth and want the ideas. And then they have to do what will, I think, come naturally to help others understand that as well. What are the changes since COVID uh, with respect to psychological safety in terms of how can leaders help people feel psychologically safe when they're not in the same physical environment? Remote work and working from home, of course, the um, the first thing we have to just acknowledge is that that's a possibility for about 40% of, of people in the U.S., right? Not not everyone. Although I think most of the people that um, we think of, but not in patient care for sure, um, are, 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 most people you coach, probably most of the companies you work in are in that category. Um, so we first, in, in a many, in I think it's worth just noting that um, thank God we're able to do that, right? Thank God we're able to have the technologies that allow us to keep connecting, keep working uh, from a distance while our physical safety is at risk otherwise. And then, however, it's important to, to note that the hurdles toward enabling people to feel psychologically safe enough to speak up with what's working and what isn't working are that much higher. And so that means the efforts to increase and grow or may even maintain psychological safety have to be more deliberate with a heavier hand, rituals, requests, reaching out, you know, to 
to kind of solicit voice, to check in, to see what's happening, to, you know, use the features that the technologies have, use the polls, use the, um, you, you know, use a formal way to make sure everybody feels their voice is heard and is valued. You have to be just a little bit more deliberate and heavy handed in these times. Amy, now that we understand the many benefits of a psychologically safe workplace, what would be your best career advice for those leaders who aspire to foster this kind of environment so they could reap the benefits of a psychologically safe workplace? My advice is humility, curiosity, empathy, and 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 humility. Maybe I should should have said passion right before because so let's have four. But because passion is you really have to care. Right? You have to be excited about something. I don't think you want to be just excited about being a leader or becoming a leader um, for its own sake. You want to be excited about being a leader because leadership represents leverage. It represents the ability to get more done that matters to the world than you could possibly have done by yourself. And you get it done because you're in a position where you can inspire and enable others to do great stuff. And and so I think that passion really matters. And then the humility I mentioned earlier to know you can't do it yourself, right? You have to show up, you have to do hard things as a leader, but you are utterly dependent on others' voluntary willingness to do their best. And, and then the curiosity, I don't think you can lead effectively if you're not curious, deeply curious about what your direct reports, your team, however you want to put it, about what they bring. You know about what they know, what they see, what they wonder about. And that curiosity drives inquiry. And inquiry is one of the most important leadership behaviors um, that we know about. Um, and then finally, the, the empathy to just imagine, understand what people are up against, to have a thoughtful response when things aren't going well for someone, to be there for them, uh, to help. Fundamentally, your job is to help others, right? It's not to look good or be the boss or have all the answers. It's to be figuring out what you can do to help really challenging work get done, um, moving forward uh, to serve this larger purpose. To summarize the main points from my conversation with Amy Edmondson, psychological safety happens in teams when leadership encourages feedback from everyone. There are no perfectly psychologically safe organizations or completely unsafe ones. It happens more with teams than across organizations, which says that every manager has the opportunity to create a psychologically safe environment with curiosity, empathy, and humility. The best leaders, those who create psychologically safe atmospheres for team members, elicit feedback, ask questions that are intentional, so they reveal real issues, and they encourage input even when it challenges the status quo. These leaders do this because they know they can't succeed on their own and they recognize they'll be far more effective when they create an inclusive, psychologically safe environment for team members who know they'll be rewarded, in fact, when they contribute an idea. In this way, people share knowledge and support one another. When people feel psychologically safe, they tend to contribute their best work and organizations become more innovative, creative, and retain their best people. Thank you, Amy, for taking the time to share your insights and advice from years of extensive research on psychological safety for my listeners. When there's psychological safety in the workplace, people will want to come to work and organizations benefit from collaboration and outcomes gleaned from collective intelligence. 
If you're interested in learning more about psychological safety from Amy Edmondson, you can find the link to Amy's most recent book, The Fearless Organization, Create Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth in my podcast notes. And you can also find a link to her outstanding tech talk, which I highly recommend in my podcast notes as well. Thanks for listening.